0: Last week, we had our pastor, Danny. He is in charge of international church plant for the Americas, as Pastor Jim Welchel is in charge of international church planting for Asia. And last week, last Sunday, he challenged us. Wanted? What? Huh? Your response is not very radical. It is not very encouraging. What was the message last week? Wanted radical Christians. Radical Christians are made. They're not born. If you have the opportunity and I'm not getting any commission from this, there is a book entitled Christians are disciples are made not born. So try to get a copy of that. It's really a good book. He also further emphasized last week that Christians are built up. They are not born. Once you encounter a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you have just begun your journey. And behind me is Matthew 28. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself tells us that we have to be discipled on towards Christ-likeness. We do not become Christ-like simply because we have been born again. Discipleship is the lifelong process of helping a believer in Christ Jesus grow to spiritual maturity and multiplication for the glory of God. It is a process. And I need you, and hopefully you need me to be engaged in that process for us to be able to grow towards Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness does not happen in a vacuum. It happens within the discipleship relationship. And I I use this in humor. There is no Lone Ranger Christian because even the, the Lone Ranger had a tonto. He had a sidekick. That is our brother, Hill. (laughs) So, the challenge to us by Pastor Danny last week was wanted radical Christians. And he shared with us why there is a great need for radical Christians today. A lot of the churches in Europe where Christianity really first spread, my friends, they're now empty There are now tourist destinations. Harvard. What are the other Ivy League schools that you know? Huh? Princeton. Some of these, they started as Bible seminaries where they were trained to study the Bible, to learn the scriptures. And what are they now? Universities. Some of them are radical universities. I just turned 59 last Tuesday. I don't know if I will appreciate that. I don't know if... Pastor, really? 59? You don't look a day over 60. (laughs) Anyway. And I grew up during the Marcos era. And when the word radical was published in the newspapers or when I would hear radical... The connection in my mind was there is a demonstration out in the streets, protesting the government, protesting the establishment, right? And then when uh, the Aquino assassination took place, there was another radical movement. What did we call it? People power. The August 21 movement. And I remember I called in sick boss. I can't come to work today. I don't feel well. But then he saw me in the television demonstrating. (laughs) You called in sick yesterday, I saw you on the TV. We wanted to be radical because we wanted a change. And all over the world, that movement called people, power, amazed the rest of the known world. Because it was a bloodless revolution. Unlike the blood-filled revolution that Jesus Christ started when he shed his blood for us. Wanted, radical Christians. And I know some of you were sitting there and asking yourself, and this is how I entitled my message, Radical? Really? Really? That is my message for us this morning. Radical? Really? Really? I asked Pastor, I asked a permission from Pastor Danny. I said, Pastor, this is the title of my message, okay? Don't think that I am reversing your message, okay? My challenge is this. Radical? Really? Really. And the passage for us this morning is found in Luke chapter 19, reading from verse 1 to 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried down and, came, and he heard and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be? A guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I have only three points for us this morning repentance, restitution, regeneration. Here we see the life of Zacchaeus. He was, and he is introduced to us as a tax collector. Now, here in the United States, if you're from the IRS, usually uh, they're a bit afraid of us. But more times than not, they're above board. They really do an honest-to-goodness audit. Yes? Yes? In the Philippines, when you get a letter from the Bureau of Internal Revenue, what does that usually mean? Right? You know what this means, right? That will be fixed. It can be fixed. It can go away. It will go away if the price is right. In their time, Zacchaeus was the worst of the worst. Why? During their time, Rome was in charge. Rome had levied taxes upon the Jews. Zacchaeus was a Jew. He was referred to by Jesus Christ himself. He too is a son of Abraham. Therefore, Zacchaeus was a Jew. Right? What was his role His role was to collect the taxes that were being levied upon his fellow Jews. But where would the taxes go? To Rome. And many times these tax collectors would collect more than what was required. And where do you think the excess would go to their pockets. That's why when Jesus Christ said, Zacchaeus, come down, for I must be at your house today, what did the crowd say of the invitation of Jesus? Huh? You go to the house of sinners? Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming. What did he do? When Jesus entered Jericho, for he was just passing through, there was a man called Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, if you are an ordinary tax collector, you are already rich. You are the chief tax collector. You have commission on commission. It's like multi level marketing. Now he's the cheap tax collector and he is rich. Now the reputation of Jesus is beginning to spread. And Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was passing through. So what did Zacchaeus do? Look, Zacchaeus was trying to see Jesus who was unable because of the crowd. So what did he do? He climbed up a sycamore tree. It's a big tree. If you're able to go to Israel, there is a place there. It is gated. And then there is like a placard. We believe that this is the sycamore tree where Zacchaeus climbed up to see who Jesus was. Now remember, Zacchaeus is... (coughs) Small in stature. Those of you who are like me, we are small in stature. So we have to climb up a tree, climb up a fence, climb up on the roof of the car just to see this person. Zacchaeus wanted to meet Jesus. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And the crowd, the tall people, they were not going to prevent him. So what did he do? He climbed up a sycamore tree. He ran ahead of the crowd, preempting where Jesus would go. He climbed up ahead of the crowd, climbed to a sycamore tree so that he could see Jesus. Isn't that radical? That you would go out of your way to see Jesus. You would climb up a tree To see Jesus. So he ran up ahead and climbed onto a sycamore tree. For Jesus was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place. What place? The tree. In the area of the tree where Zacchaeus was up there. You know, maybe holding on to the big branch. And looking up. Where's Jesus? And what happens? Jesus looks up. You see, many times we look for Jesus and we are oblivious to the fact that Jesus is looking for us. The Old Testament tells us that the eyes of the Lord go through and fro through all the earth to strongly support those whose hearts are fully his. We don't need to look for Jesus. Jesus is actually looking for us. So when Jesus came to that place and the sycamore tree was there and Zacchaeus was up on the sycamore tree, Jesus stops. Picture it in your mind. And everyone who was following Jesus likewise stopped. And Jesus looked up. Zacchaeus! they were not introduced. Jesus knew the name of this person up on the tree. Jesus knows your name individually. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house. I submit to you, brothers and sisters, if Jesus Christ Told you that he is going to visit your house. You are going to clean your house. You are going to make sure. Hey, the conversation, huh? No cursing. Okay? Kids, when I tell you to do something, you do something right away. Do not complain, huh? Why? Because Jesus is coming. But the moment Jesus leaves, what happens to your household? Back to normal? That's why we need radical Christians. Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house tonight. And he hurried down and received Jesus gladly. Jesus called him by name. Come, I must stay at your house. I must abide with you. When they saw it, the crowd, when they saw it, they began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. Remember, not only ordinary tax collector, chief tax collector. How dare you go to this house? He is a sinner. He is a, Traitor, he works for Rome, and you would come to visit his house? As Jesus went on from there, Matthew 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up. And followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. Who is this Matthew? Who is this Matthew? What was his background? Tax collector. When you first open your New Testament, what is the first book? Matthew. I, I'm not going to read this, Matthew. You're a tax collector. Matthew was called from his position. He was sitting in the tax collector's booth. Come, follow me. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. Come. Follow me. And Matthew followed. And as a result of that, the other tax collectors and other sinners came to be with Jesus. But the crowd, remember, in Luke, the crowd was, why? Well, Matthew answers us. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, is it not those, is it not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick? But go and learn that what this means. I desire compassion and that sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let me ask you, why do you go to the doctor? Oh, because, you know, The the air conditioner is very cold. Uh, The the secretary is very accommodating. Is that why you go to the doctor? You don't go to the doctor because you are healthy. You go to the doctor because you are sick, right? That's what Jesus Christ explained. Is it not the sick that need the healer? Is it not the sinners? who need a savior, I have come to seek and save the lost. And my friends, until you and I realize that we are lost because of our sin, we will have no need for a savior. You will feel entitled. Oh, you, you really should have saved me. But if you and I realize that apart from what Jesus Christ did on the cross, I am lost, and I could be lost for all eternity, then this cross will mean so much more to you. Like the song that we sang, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. No turning back. Radical? Really? Really. We really need to be radical. Jesus Christ came to Zacchaeus' house. That was a radical move. The people knew who Zacchaeus was. And of all the people that Jesus Christ would go to, why go to the house? Of a sinner, a tax collector, nonetheless, because I have come to seek and to save the lost. Isaiah 61, verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness. For the prisoners, who needs to hear the good news? The sick, the poor, the sinners. That's why in Luke chapter seven, he answered and said to them, "Go into and, re- and go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk." The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Is not that the very purpose of Isaiah 61 verse 1? Jesus brought the gospel to all kinds of people. The righteous and the unrighteous. But he went to the poor. He sat with sinners And the people around him scoffed at it because they didn't understand. They were self-righteous. Repentance. In the synoptic gospels, it means metanoia, indicating a turning away from sin. Two requisites of repentance include to turn from evil and to turn to good. It is a change of mind that translates into a change in behavior. Radical? Yes. Radical? Really? Really. Repentance is key. We go back to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, stop. He stopped and said, Lord, behold, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said, today, today salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus encountered Jesus. And he had the change of heart. There was repentance in him. And then he said, Half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, what what did he say? I will give back four times as much. Did Jesus tell him to do this? No. 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 It was from within himself, as he encountered Jesus Christ, that he made this decision. Half of my possessions I will give to the poor. If I defrauded anyone, I will give them four times. I will pay them back four times. Second word I want you to remember, restitution. The act of returning what was wrongfully taken or replacing what has been lost or damaged and the divine restoration of all things to their original order. Now, restitution is not new to the New Testament. The Jews have been trained by it in the Old Testament by which they lived. Let me show you some verses. Exodus 22. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. You pay more than what you took. Restitution. Exodus 22. If what he stole is actually found alive in his possession, whether an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. Exodus 22 again. If a man gives his neighbor money or goods to keep from him and it is stolen from the man's house, if the thief is caught, he shall pay double. There is restitution. There is payback. 2 Samuel 12, when, when David's anger burned against the man and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. David did not know. He was talking about whom? Himself. himself when he stole back Sheba from Uriah, and when he put Uriah to death by commanding his commanders, put him in front of the battle, and then withdraw. You the man, Nathan said. Proverbs 6.31, but when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house what happened to Zacchaeus he had an encounter with Jesus he had a change of heart which translated into a change in action half of my possessions I will give to the poor If I have defrauded anyone, and that is 101%, because that's how they made their money. You collect for Rome, but you have what? You have an add-on, which is yours. Therefore, you have defrauded this person who wants to pay his tax to Rome. Surely, he had defrauded these people. But what was his promise? What was his commis- commitment? I will pay back four times those of whom I have defrauded. He made restitution. He paid back those whom he had defrauded. He repented of his sin, but he also made restitution. Do you know that you guys owe me something? Now you're thinking, did I borrow money from pastor? Let no debt remain outstanding except to love. So you guys, you owe me as much as I owe you. I owe it to you because of God to love you as much as you owe it to myself and to other Christians and even your enemies. For how will your enemies know about this radical thing called unconditional love if you do not demonstrate it for them? What good is it if we only love one another? What good is it if we curse our enemies but only love the brethren? What did Jesus Christ say? It's the same thing. You are not radical. You, there's nothing different. Radical? Really? Really. You and I have to be radical. You and I have to be distinguished from the rest of the world. Because we carry the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as Pastor Danny shared with us last week, many times the gospel cannot go through because the life of the messenger is messed up. First word, repentance. Second word, restitution. Jesus said to him, today, Today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Regeneration. This word literally means a new birth. The Greek word so rendered, polygenesia is used by classical writers with reference to the changes produced by the return spring. You have the first book of the Bible called Genesis, the book of beginnings. When you are born again, in a matter of speaking, there is what is called re-genesis. You have a new beginning. You have new births. You are regenerated by the Lord Jesus Christ Was there regeneration? Yes. Today, salvation has come to this house. Was Zacchaeus born again? Yes. He encountered Jesus. He had repented. He had made restitution and regeneration had taken place. I will give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, I will pay them back fourfold. And what did Jesus Christ say? Today, salvation has come to this house. There is a payback in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin, the payment for sin is death. I always use this. To emphasize the point, the wages, plural, of sin, singular, is death. But, but, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I like, and CCF as a church really wants to encourage you to use the New American Standard version. The NIV is okay and all the other versions are okay. But the NASB is a word-for-word translation, And I like it because of its double emphasis. Look at Romans 6:23. "The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God. Now, some, does someone give you a gift and ask payment? Free? It's a free gift. And it's given by God. Why? Continue. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I am guilty because I am a sinner. And the first part of Romans 6.23 tells me that the penalty for my sin is eternal damnation in hell eternally and perpetually separated from God because of my sin. But God's free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus. But there must be restitution to be made because the law is there that if a person sins, there must be a payment of death. There must be a shedding of blood. So what happened in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2? This time I'm using the NIV. To make it clearer for us. He is the atoning sacrifice. Atoning means to be, to be made peace. It's a peace offering. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the world. That's why you know John chapter 3 verse 16, right? For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. He, Jesus Christ, is the substitutionary payment, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. God, in a matter of speaking, paid restitution for our sins through the sacrifice and shed blood of His one and only Son. Why? Because O oh, God loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son that whomsoever put their faith in Him will not perish but have Eternal life. Repentance, restitution, regeneration. The putting back into order as if it was in the beginning. So, how did God do that? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what's the condition? You have to be in Christ. If you are not in Christ, there is no regeneration for you. Because the Bible is very clear. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what happens? He is a new creation. He is a new creature. There is regeneration. He is restored to his original state. There is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. Radical? Really? Really. So if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and you examine yourself, because last time I checked my ID, it does not say Holy Spirit Junior. So you examine yourself. If I am a follower of Jesus Christ, if I am a disciple of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, my past life should be that. Past. Behold, new things have come. I don't teeter tatter between this is my new life. Well, I want to go back to my past life. But wait a minute. Let me go back. And oh, no. Oh, Pastor Peter is coming. Pastor Peter left. Yes, I can be myself. No. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. We really need to be radical. and that question radical, really? Really? Because if, friends, if you're not, you really have to ask yourself: Am I just playing around with God and using what Jesus Christ did to get out of jail-free card? Or am I really a committed follower? Of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying you're perfect. Because nobody is perfect. But What I'm saying is that you have been radically changed. That your life has taken a 180. And you have your family. And your church family. To confirm and affirm. Yes brother, yes sister. I know your life before. And if not for God in your life, you could not do what you're doing now. Yes, you have been radically changed by your encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what we could not do in regards to our sin, God did it for us. So we can even say that God is a radical God. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If you are in Christ and God looks at you, God looks at you, believe it or else, God looks at you as someone who is righteous. You know why? Because you are are covered with the righteous blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ shed his blood for you. Mind you, Jesus Christ did not save you just so you can go to heaven. God is all sufficient, all sustaining. He doesn't need your worship and mine. He has angels since eternity past worshiping Him 24 7. So if you and I think that God saved me because I'm so handsome, He cannot afford not for me to be in heaven. My friend, you are mistaken. God saved me to fulfill. The great commission here on earth. To make disciples of every nation. Beginning with my own family. Every member a discipler. Every family a discipleship or a D group. God did not save me just to add my name to those who are in heaven. When Jesus Christ went back to heaven, he gave them their marching orders. You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the world. God doesn't need me, but God chose to use me to be able to communicate the gospel and to disciple people, to help them be committed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whom God predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So never think for a moment that you join a social club with benefits. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. Yes, that's true. But that's not the purpose why God saved you. God saved you so God could use you to disciple other people. Radical? Really? Really. When the Apostle Paul was evangelized by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Lord, What was the next question? What would you have me do? Mm. Salvation ends there? Just because you have an encounter with Jesus Christ? Lord, what would you have me do? In Galatians chapter 1, when he gave his testimony, but God who set me apart from birth sent me, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Oh. Why did God save Paul? Just so that Paul could go to heaven? God saved the apostle Paul. Because God gave Paul his marching orders. I want you to go to the Gentiles. Preach the gospel to them. And disciple people. Huh? Pastor in song. I did not see that in the Bible. Who discipled Timothy? Oh. Need I say more? Who discipled Titus? Paul. Just to share the gospel is not enough, my friends. We should. But don't stop there. Because, look, go and make disciples of all nations. It did not just say, go and share the gospel. Radical. You know why? God never called us to make converts. God called us, commissioned us, to what? Make disciples. Oh, pastor, I'm making disciples. Really? Yeah, because I'm part of the discipleship group. Uh, Are you making disciples? I belong to a discipleship group, Pastor. Are you making disciples? Oh, our discipleship group means twice a week, Wednesday and Friday. Are you making disciples? But Pastor, I'm already... You see? Sometimes we miss the point. We think that because we're attending a Bible study... We think that because we are part of a small discipleship group that we are already making disciples. What's the truth? Until I am in a discipleship relationship with somebody, I am not yet making disciples. You can be in a church service you can be in a small group Bible study, but until and unless you are discipling somebody or being discipled by somebody, you are not yet fulfilling the Great Commission. Radical? Really? Really? This cross is a symbol of God's radical love for you and for me. Jesus Christ never committed any sin, but he died in your place. If that is not radical, my friends, I do not know what is. Repentance, restitution, regeneration. This morning, we will gather and celebrate the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table. I'm going to be as radical as I can this morning with regards to the Lord's Table. If you are not committed to follow Jesus Christ, no matter what, may I encourage you, inhibit yourself. I'm not going to prevent you, but I am encouraging you to inhibit yourself from partaking. Why? Let me share. For I received from the Lord that which I also received, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ in the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. So are we commanded to celebrate the Lord's table, the Lord's supper? Yes. Yes. We are to commemorate it. We don't do it every day. We don't do it every week. Why? Because it might lose its meaning. It will become rote. It will become mechanical. It will become robotic. And why am I challenging you to consider whether you will really partake or not is this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the crop, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink the cup. For he who drinks and eats, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak, sick, and a number sleep. The word sleep means death. The Lord, our God, is very serious about the Lord's table. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. I'm not going to prevent any one of you from partaking. My challenge to all of us this morning is if I am not radically committed to obey everything that God has told me to obey, Maybe you shouldn't partake. But all is not lost. You have time. Number one, maybe now is the time of your salvation. I don't know. Maybe that today is the time of your radical commitment to follow God. Why radical? Because look... Teaching them to observe all, not to obey some, not to obey what I like, and not to obey what I do not like. God said, teach them, teach you to obey all. So if I'm not willing to obey all, I have to ask myself, am I really a committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or did I just get a free ticket to heaven? Radical? Really? really you and I have to be radical because if we are not radical my friends how can we impact our homes our offices our society this country our country the Philippines if we think that Christianity is just joining a club and your tithes are just your maintenance monthly dues. As the music plays this morning, consider repentance, restitution, and regeneration. Are you there? You may come and get the elements. The, the, the Bible doesn't teach that the elements literally become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. These are just elements representing the bread that represents the body of Jesus Christ. The cup of grape juice represents his blood. The elements are just that. They are reminders to us. So as the music plays this morning, just between you and the Lord, consider my challenge to you this morning. And if your answer to the lord jesus christ not to ccf not to me not to anyone if your answer to the lord jesus christ is yes lord by your grace and as empowered by your holy spirit i commit to follow you in all aspects of my life come come to the table
1: My desire to honor
0: I received from the Lord which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me Lord Jesus we remember that you took all of our sins upon your body on the tree so that we might die to sin and that we might live for righteousness. For by your wounds, we have been healed. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We remember you today. Let's partake of the bread. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, In remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we remember your shed blood at Calvary. Because for without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for our sins. And God, though our sins are like scarlet, you have washed them white as snow. But it took your blood, Lord Jesus, your precious blood, to forgive us of our sins. Lord, every time we are tempted to sin against you, will you remind us of the shed blood of Jesus Christ? The cross that he went through, the sacrifice that he did for us for the salvation of our souls. And we remember, we remember today, as we should always remember every day, that we are not called just to be saved, but you have called us to make disciples of all nations. Lord Jesus, we remember your command. We remember this commitment that you gave. And we remember that you commissioned us to go and make disciples of all nations. Lord, we honor you this morning. We honor you today. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your shed blood, oh Lord Jesus. Let's partake together. God, we just want to thank you. Thank you that you love us more than we can ever love you back. Thank you that you have commanded us to be radical in this world. So that as you fill us with your Holy Spirit, as we commit to follow you no matter what, and you begin to change us from the inside out, people around us will take notice of who we are in Christ. That becomes the opportunity, the the door, the pathway that we can share about the love of the Father, the grace of the Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. God, we just want to thank you that we can come and worship you in freedom to speak your word with power and without apology because it is your word, Lord God, that is the sole authority both in heaven and on earth. Because your Son Jesus Christ lives and reigns, we too shall live and reign with him in heaven. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Dismiss us with your blessing and all of God's people sin. Amen and amen and amen. Have a blessed Sunday, everyone.